Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. I'm your host, Drew Dixon, and I'm joined today by Richard Clark. Richard, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing great. And uh, as we will try to do each week, we have a special guest with us. And our, uh, our special guest today is Alan Williamson. Alan, how's it going? It's going great, thank you. Alan, you are the editor-in-chief of 5 Out of 10 magazine, which is a really cool uh, game, games criticism magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've introduced it as really cool, so that's my main line out of the way. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so 5 Out of 10 is, well, it's kind of two things now. The first thing is obviously the magazine itself, um, which has been running for nearly two years, and I like to... I like to style it as a video game culture magazine because if you call something a video game magazine, then you're kind of you're always appealing to the same audience. So yeah. this is how I this is how I justify it to random people I meet and to my parents. Right. Um, so the the idea is that we're writing about video games, but also we care a lot about the people that play them and the people that make them and the you know the culture surrounding that and the environments it creates. Um, so it's kind of like. I guess the, the dream is something like Rolling Stone for video games. So if somebody was broadly interested in games, but not like hardcore into it, not a, not a hardcore gamer with you know Pac-Man tattooed in their eyes, then <laughs> that that kind of person could pick up that magazine and enjoy it. And obviously, that's a really hard balance to strike because it kind of emerged out of the games criticism community. So sites like Critical Distance, um, my own blog, Split Screen, Nightmare Mode, Ontological Geek. And a lot of those sites were quite academic in focus. Yeah. So we have a mixture of stuff that's um, usually my pieces are the really sloppy ones that I've you know written at the 11th hour. Um, <laughs> but also we've got like much deeper pieces. So we had one about, um, in the latest issue, uh, we had one about um, Aerith from Final Fantasy VII and the kind of uh, her symbolic use as a, as a body and so I'll talk about death and what that character means in terms of a wider context. So we go, we kind of go quite quite deep and quite broad. Um, yeah. So the second the second thing um, is that I launched a book last month, um, and so five out of ten has somehow turned into a publishing company as well, which I now manage, which is very scary. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so the book is called um, Escape to Nepali, A Journey to the Unreal, which I co-wrote with Caitlin Tremblay, um, who is the new managing editor of 5 out of 10. So she's helping me out with all the editorial bits and bobs from the next issue onwards. Um, so what happened was that um, she wrote a pitch for 5 out of 10. Uh, it was about the use of language in games. And she mentioned the game Unreal. That was it. That was it. it was just one mention, uh, one, word, one word, Unreal. And I just kind of focused in on this and went, oh, I love, I loved Unreal. I, I love that game. <laughs> and then we kind of got talking about Unreal. And then I bought it off Steam. And then she bought it off Steam. And then I was like taking pictures of my phone as I got the, all these iconic bits we remembered from the game. Um, <laughs> yeah. So eventually I got back to her and said, um, I really like the pitch, but I don't think you should write about Unreal because I think we should write a book about it. Oh, wow. and, then, and, that, and then I said, oh, and we'll write it in three months and it'll be really, really good. And she was like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's a really, it's a really silly schedule to, um, to say you're going to write a book in. And three months later, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's so great. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a deep dive into Unreal. But one of the things we were keen to do is that every chapter is a, it focuses on a different theme. So um, the first chapter that we syndicated on Kotaku, and you can read for free there. Well, hey, um, it's uh, <laughs> it's about um, what does it mean to be alien, and yeah. um, how does Unreal create an environment that's alien, not just in an absolute context, but also compared to other games at the time, um, and that the kind of things that contributed to that really unique atmosphere that made it so memorable. So things like the the weaponry, uh, the engine itself, which you know is the Unreal Engine, and that was the first game that used it obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of focus on different themes. So there's one on the sublime, there's one on the 
the how the player act as a savior. There's one on fictional architecture. So you know what games can do with architecture that real world spaces can't. Um, and it's all bundled into a lovely book, and it's uh, on sale now. Go go buy it. And if this was a video podcast, there'd be a big you know flashing yellow price <laughs> mark right now. <laughs> That's um, cool, but it, yeah. but it's but it's gone really well. Um, there's been people have been really enthusiastic about it, and the sales have been very good. And a lot of people like the the piece that was on Kotaku as well. Um, and a really cool thing for me is that five out of ten is a digital magazine, and it was always designed for uh, iPads and. Um, that, you know, whenever you're, uh, whenever you've always grown up reading all of these magazines of your childhood, you know the, the kind of things that really influence five out of ten are like Edge and PC Gamer and Sega Saturn magazine from the UK, and um, and I always wanted to do a print run, and then I was like, okay, well, why don't we do it in print? And that is ludicrously difficult because you would have to go back and redesign every single page. Yeah. But if you're designing a book from scratch, uh, all you do is design with print in mind. So we finally launched a print-on-demand one, and I have one on my bookshelf, and it's oh, very nice. Awesome. It's cool. very nice, and even even my mum has got one. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and um, and she's like, oh, you know, I don't don't think I really want to read it. It's like you have to read it. I only write things so that people read them. Please read the book, or at least <laughs> just 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 read the introduction. Yeah, you know, it's it's not hard. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. so we've kind of wound down on that. Um, so the book's all finished off, and now it's just back to the. The, the two-month cycle of doing nothing for a month and a half and then a ridiculous amount of crunch to get the next issue of the mag out. Yeah. So, and you're, you're, you're currently talking to me in the middle of that crunch phase. All <laughs> nice. right, great, great. Cool. Well, uh, we definitely encourage our uh, listeners to go check out 5 out of 10 and, and uh, escape to Nepali. It's interesting because I, play, I didn't play Unreal um, <gasps> but I did play, I did go through a phase uh, when like Xbox Live first started like on the original mm-hmm. Xbox and I was in really into Unreal Tournament. Mm-hmm. So when oh, I think yeah. of when I think of Unreal, um I think of that sort of environment. I don't think of this like what you were talking about, the idea of feeling alien. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um I sort of I, it makes me feel like I've misjudged Unreal, you know, <laughs> from from that experience. Because what I remember about Unreal Tournament is just being like insanely like hooked on it <laughs> and playing way more of it like over Christmas break than I probably should have. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, well, so it makes, makes me curious about unreal and, and also about your book. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, unreal, or, unreal tournament started as a, um, it was going to be an expansion pack for unreal. Yeah. Um, so actually, you know, one of the things we come back to in the book is that whenever you're playing unreal um, and you're playing against those bots, it's the same AI that was used in Unreal Tournament, so sometimes it can feel like you're having a death match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is. It has a lot of the the dodgy ducky moves and the the the, the crazy weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, a lot of that did translate to tournament, which is still well. It was a unique game until they brought it Unreal Tournament three and decided to go all you know Gears of War grunge on it. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they get. I don't want to say progressively worse. But they get less good as they go on. Yeah, so the first, sure. the first Unreal tournament was, you know, the kind of thing that we would uh, install a demo of onto all the school computers, <laughs> have a massive deathmatch mm-hmm. before we left for the summer. And then there was UT two thousand and three, which wasn't great. And then they did a two thousand and four, and it was a bit better. But then, you know, by that stage, I was at university and didn't have as much time to play those kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three came out and just just kind of passed me by. But I did play. I played it in the Xbox quite a lot. Yeah. Awesome. My my claim to fame, like I'm not really good at video games. I I like to write about them, and I I <laughs> consider I consider myself a game critic, but I'm not like one of those guys who's insanely good at them. People think I am, but then I prove that wrong when we actually play games together. Um, but my one claim to fame in video games was that like at one point I was in the top like 100 uh, Xbox Live players on Unreal Tournament for a short wow. stint. So. That's that, and it was only because I was really insane. I played it an insane amount of time. Oh, um, okay, so it was so. top 100 most most frequent players. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. But uh, let's let's transition. One of the, the things we, we we first like we like to do at the beginning of this podcast is talk to people about their 
um, spiritual beliefs, like what motivates them, what they think about the world, about life, about God. Um, and so we are curious to hear from Alan about what you what you believe. Um, what what would you say are your kind of your kind of core beliefs? Oh, where do we start? Where do we start? Um, so I grew up in Northern Ireland. Surprise. Uh, and, um, you sound. I was thinking like the American South, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, I thought I thought you sounded Northern Irish. <laughs> Weird. Uh, it's funny how that works. Yeah. Um, so there's this kind of old, old joke in Northern Ireland, which is uh, you know what what kind of, what's your religion? Are you a Protestant atheist or are you a Catholic atheist? And uh, <laughs> and so I I was a, a Protestant atheist. Um, so I was kind of. Uh, from when I was very, very young, I would go to church every single Sunday, and I would go to the Sunday school and the 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 boys' brigade. I don't know if you have that in America. It's a bit like it's a bit like ultra religious scouts. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have stuff like that. Yeah, stuff so, like that for sure. So, I was in RAs the, back in the which stood for Royal Ambassadors. Chings. <laughs> Royal, <laughs> Royal Ambassadors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably like the same thing. I would imagine. Okay, I, I I can look that up on Wikipedia later. That'll be a, a it's bit the of, same uh, thing as what you're talking about. Okay, because it, it's kind of like it's a bit like the scouts, but instead of all the fun camping and stuff, you marched around a hall. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so I did that for many many years, um, and then when I was around fifteen sixteen, my parents separated. Um, this is where you get into the the true the true life confession stage of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. You know, didn't want to break a theme. That's and, my favorite um, part. <laughs> good, good, good. I've got I've got my my childhood Teddy in my hand for moments of weakness. Um, Great. So so my parents separated, and um, we sort of said to my mum like the, the first week after, do we do we have to go to church anymore? And she was like, Well, no, not not if you not if you don't want to. And I never went again. <laughs> How old were you at that point? Uh, about about fifteen, sixteen, I think. Like. I I hadn't really bought into it from a young age, yeah. and I think definitely from about the age of you're probably talking about eleven or twelve. Uh, you know, I wasn't. I would have, you know, classified myself as say a weak atheist. So I just uh, it wasn't that I believe that God doesn't exist. I just didn't believe that He did. Um, but it was easier for me to pretend that that was the case. It's a bit like you know, if you if you don't go along with the Santa Claus thing, you don't get any Christmas presents. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, another another sense of the word presence. Um, I would just yeah pretend that I was into all that stuff, and then that got my got my dad off my back for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, I don't know. You're you're kind of going through that you know teenage rebellion phase. You're like, oh yeah, I'm an atheist. God sucks and all that. But <laughs> then I think as I as I moved into university, I got more involved with the humanist society and things like that. And I was I was studying a degree in psychology and you know, and, and biology. And I did a bit of like sort of parapsychology stuff. And at one point I'd considered doing a PhD in psychology of religion and things. So I find it really, I find it really interesting. I find it really interesting thinking about why people believe the things they do and, you know, how they attribute certain things. But I think it's just one of these things that never really gelled with me. I remember um, I went, to, I got into a really awkward conversation with a, a colleague in my day job a few months ago where um, I was going to a bookshop in Oxford, which is where I live, um, to meet um, Richard Dawkins, who was doing, um, he was reading excerpts of his favorite science fiction books to discuss how they influenced his um, evolution books. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd said to my colleague, oh, yeah, I'm going along to Blackwell's to see uh, Richard Dawkins. And he went, oh, all right, so, uh, so you're yeah, an atheist then, uh, are you? And, uh, and I knew this guy was involved in a kind of Christian work group, so I was, you know, on my on my tippy toes, um, sure. and I said I said yeah yeah, and he's like oh so so why is that then? Which is actually quite a rude thing to ask, isn't it? <laughs> and um, and I said to him because um, you know put me on the spot, so um, I said oh, well to me it's kind of a it's kind of a, a default state, and then, and the way I believe things is that you know I I want there to be evidence for them, so mm. for me it's that. It's the kind of the old Bertrand Russell argument, you know, where he, I think it was Bertrand Russell where he's, you know, he goes up to the, the pearly gates and St. Peter's there and God's like, you know, why didn't you, you know, why, why would you a Christian? And he'd say, well, there wasn't enough evidence. And he, and, and Russell reckoned that that would be okay. And, you know, if, if God was logical, those things, he would let you in anyway. 
since, uh, you know, at least, <laughs> at least you hadn't gone along with her blindly. So I sort of said, um, oh, yeah, you know, to me, it's just this kind of, you know, atheism is a kind of a default state thing. And I'm, I'd, be, I'd be happy to be proved otherwise, you know, if 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 Jesus came down from from the heavens one day and went, oh, I'm, I'm real, by the way, I'd go, OK, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you've 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 made your point and uh, you know that that would be me that would be all it would take but yeah and but i don't really I, I tend not to base my life on atheism just like i was i i made the mistake of um linking some religious thing on facebook you know as, as somebody does every couple of months and then it all <laughs> kicks, it all kicks off and, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then and then religious people comment on it and then you immediately regret having posted it well, I think I think what kidding. it was, I think it was a post on Medium, uh-huh. and it said like, and it was, um, and it was something like, uh, uh, Christians, you know, here's a surefire way to convince an atheist during a debate, and then because the way Medium works, it fills your whole screen with a splash page, and so when you scroll down, it just says you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we got into this discussion about you know who was what and who believed what and things, and I was trying to. I don't know. Keep, put put out the flames rather than fanning them. Sure. And um, oh, totally lost track of what I was talking about now. Done. I, <laughs> well, I, I do this all the time. Sorry, but um, no, it's okay. You you were talking about how you kind of got into humanism. I'm curious yes. to hear about like um, how that philosophy, or, or maybe first, what are the core what core values do you think sort of like define that philosophy, and then how has that influenced? You as as a game critic, as as a writer, thinker, someone who who you know, uh, a, a writer of books, as you are now, <laughs> <laughs> as, a, so. as a man as a man of letters and, uh, yes. and a scholar. Um, I'm not sure. I think that um, I think that I've kind of pulled in a little bit of everything. So obviously, because I, to, you know, in a sense, studied Christianity for so many years, a lot of that stuff does stay with you. I think that. Sure. In terms of the humanism stuff, that um, I've always thought that you know you don't you don't need religious texts to make up your kind of beliefs, and in fact, you know a lot of religious people don't do that. They you know they they have the the nuance to um, understand what parts of the Bible they're going to go by and which they're not. You know, so people don't you know this is all the usual atheism online one one cliches, but you know they don't people don't keep slaves and they don't stone homosexuals to death and things like that and you know everybody everybody accepts that those are things you shouldn't do and so i kind of extend that in, in general to it's like the, the old the old um the golden rule doesn't work you know the whole treat others as you want to be treated mm-hmm. it, do, it doesn't work because it doesn't take into account that you might be a psychopath that wants people to i don't know inflict misery on them mm. <laughs> it doesn't work so i guess to me it's just I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go for a, a utilitarian thing of you know doing the, the most good to the most people. I think my life philosophy is kind of don't don't be a dick and but beyond that, just 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 be nice to people and you know give them give them the benefit of the doubt and you know sort of respect people's opinions and try to be open minded, but not so much that your brain falls out, as they say. You know, because mm-hmm. there's certain there's certain things that I really don't tolerate. Like I don't have any time for homeopathy or chiropractic or any of that kind of, you know, alternate or complementary medicine or whatever that those kind of things I think are really damaging and dangerous. Hmm. But it comes to people's, you know, personal religious beliefs, that's fine. I think it's it's difficult because, you know, in America there's this whole thing about you've got the whole separation of church and state thing. Um but inevitably religion gets into politics because religion is politics. And it's the same in the UK where you can't you can't elect somebody and expect them not to use their religious beliefs because you know they have to get those values from somewhere. So I think it's yeah. it's a re- it's a really it's a really difficult line to tread. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. You say that because I feel like uh, the whole idea of like I've heard this said before is this idea of don't be a dick. That's my philosophy, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like uh, everything every time someone says that, the question that pops into my mind immediately is like who decides what being a dick is like it's it's really difficult and even like the golden rule is based on kind of uh at least for me like i see the golden rule is something that flows out of a even greater uh commandment which is to love god first right so you love god and then you love man and those that's where those that's where things start to concretize they start to make a little more sense you know what i mean yeah, so you're kind of take you you're kind of running before you walk. Then if you're if you're only going by the by the golden rule, 
yeah. Well, yeah. I think like uh, what a lot, and I would I would agree with this statement. Like um, what a lot of Christians would say in response to like that whole idea is that um, kind of like what Rich was saying. Like, how do you define what's good? Um, so, like for me to love people or treat people like I want to be treated. Like, what if the way I want to be treated is horrible? For someone yeah, else, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, um, trying to think of a good example, but I mean, you uh, you can think of a of a lot of examples. Um, there's certain things that are fine for the way I, I like people to treat me. Like, um, like I don't mind it if we have a conversation about religion and Jesus and stuff. But some people are gonna get really mad. Like, if you have that conversation with them, um, but but does that mean the conversation is not worth having? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that's it's sort of a yeah. It's a difficult. Subject. I mean, I think I think like you can you, you can there don't be a dick thing to my mind. It's like well, who who decides if you're a dick? And it's probably the person that you were being a dick to. That's sure. the person who who ultimately sure. decides that. And yeah, yeah. Yes, that yes, that's a bit wishy washy. But um, <laughs> I think like and you know, obviously people's actions like some of them have deliberate intentions and, and some don't and. This is one of this is one of the, the the classic problems with online conversations. You know how yeah, many times, yeah. how many times have you been on Twitter, especially, and people interpret your intentions completely wrongly because they can't tell if I'm being, you know, sarcastic or they don't know my background or the kind of jokes that I make, and you know, and then yeah. people people dogpile on you. This is this is what happens, and so mm-hmm. this is why everybody ends up hating each other, which is why it's so nice. To come come on a friendly podcast with you five <laughs> chaps. <laughs> well, what what you're talking about, I think, is a really like, uh, like a really valuable lesson that I think maybe some Christians in America, in particular, maybe need to hear. And it's, you know, Scripture talks a lot about like like Rich said, like loving God with all your heart, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so, like, part of that, I think, loving your neighbor is like being being willing to listen to other people, like. Um, you know, you talked about what would define being a dick is if that person thinks you're being a dick. Um, and I think, I think there's a deeper foundation, like Rich and I would both say there's a deeper foundation. You know, we, we think that there is like that there's a God who, who defines what's good and what's bad, if that makes sense. Um, but, but I do agree with you at the same time that like, being a dick is (laughs) when that, when you're, when you persist in treating someone in a way that makes that they realize they feel like you're being a dick <laughs> you know? we've definitely like, said dick a lot for this podcast well you said i you said i could use whatever word i wanted uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we would just have to repeat it over and over yep. yeah 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 so i tried to work that into that last little spiel as much as i could <laughs> uh but all that to say like there's i think there's a, a great a tremendous amount of value and a lesson for all of us to learn is to hear each other out and um, like really work on listening to what each other have to say when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, yeah, the, like one of the one of the distinctions I try to make is that um, I try to respect people, but I don't necessarily respect their beliefs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, and you know, there's I can I can have a I can have a respectful conversation with you guys, but if you say that you think you know I don't know say abortions are an abomination against God or whatever, I know I'm totally putting words into your mouth. I'm not. <laughs> Dear dear listeners, I'm not suggesting these are the views of your lovely hosts, um, but um, you know I don't have to I don't have to respect those beliefs, but I can have a conversation with you that respects you fundamentally as people without agreeing with everything you say, especially if I think you know, something you believe is you know, morally abhorrent or something like that. So, yeah, and I think I think beyond whether or not we respect one another's beliefs, it's really important to at least understand where those beliefs genuinely come from, right? Yeah, because I think yeah. most people's Beliefs come from a place of of sincerity and kind of a genuine. Uh, if even if not, even if they have, if they believe them for convenience' sake, right? Like I think that's a lot of charges going back and forth for a lot of different sides, right? But um, even if that's the case, I think there's a deep seated like personal, his you know personal history behind why people believe what they believe, and I think it's really important to understand kind of the the pain and the hurt and the sort of desperation that comes behind a lot of uh, different beliefs, um, both with Christians and and with other people, you know? <laughs> the other, other non-Christian us, us and them. <laughs> so, you know, um, to, but, I mean, to me, like, that, 
that kind of I talk about sincerity. It's that that deeply held, unshakable sincerity is what makes a lot of those beliefs so dangerous, especially if they are extremist beliefs. And that's why you're you're saying about you know it's important to understand where people come from. Absolutely, because it's a basic it's a basic sort of empathy thing. Yeah. And I think in in listening to other people and if not agreeing with them, at least appreciating where they come from, that kind of it it, it makes your beliefs a bit more moderate, doesn't it? Because if you've got some like you know unshakable extremist belief you're not going to be able to understand and appreciate other people's points of views because you just you know won't accept them as as valid things so well i think there's a place for sincerity and sincerely giving a crap about how other people feel and, and and believe like you know what i mean i think there's a place for me to believe um you know, the exclusivity claims of Christianity, um, evangelical yeah. Christianity, and also just really understand why, like, for instance, my dad, who was not a Christian, could not comprehend that that could be the case. You know what I mean? Um, mm. It's easy for me. It's not e- No, I take it back. <laughs> not easy. Desperately hard. But it is possible to uh, to believe that those two things. And I think, you know, if, if a person isn't willing to doubt their own belief, sometimes I don't know if there's a lot of sincerity there. There's, yep. there's more of an assumption, right? Yeah. Um, so I went through a, a long period where I was just assumed I was a Christian and because that's what I'd been told. And I'd assumed I grew up in the South and in, in America. And that was just what we believed. It was a cultural thing. And, uh, as I grew up, I started to have to doubt those things. And that was when, you know, uh, that was when it became a genuine belief, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I guess the point I'm making is that I think, uh, th- I think there's a difference between sincerity and, and this kind of, uh, a sincere belief and this kind of extreme, uh, blind Blind, blind yeah. faith, physically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I do think I think blind faith can be dangerous, and uh, certainly I share that same experience with Rich. Is that I, um, I kind of, I think I kind of came to religious con- or Christian Christian convictions in a place where I was ready to just sort of blindly. <laughs> like just tell me what I'm supposed to believe and how I'm supposed to act and like that was really comfortable to me yeah, how, how do I be good <laughs> yeah like there's something very compelling about that but I don't think it's that's a healthy place to be and like ever since that time like my I think I'm sound arrogant saying this but my maturation as a Christian and hopefully as a human being has been a, the process of like learning to doubt those things so that I understand what I really believe <laughs> um, in a sense. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I think you need, you need to question them. Otherwise you're not really thinking about them properly. Are you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, let's, uh, let's transition. Cause we've, we've gone on about that <laughs> for, for quite a while. And we, there's, you let's know, move on to more important things. There's, yeah, there's, right, move there's on to the games. Yeah. There's definitely some of our listeners out there. that are just going like, why is guys going to talk about video games? Gosh. They are listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> That's true. You That's got, true. Got, We're going to disappoint those guys. I, I, much, I, pretty much I did my, I did my 30 second pitch telling you to buy my magazine and to buy my book. And we're going to talk about religion now. So tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that said, let's talk about the Wii U. Alan, you were going to tell us about the Wii U because you bought one recently, right? I sure did. I sure did. Yeah. Um, last year, I did this thing where I was going to not buy any new video games for a year. And I say this looking over at the 3DS that I bought that year. Uh, <laughs> um, and so this year, I was like, yeah, that worked really well. Last year, I saved quite a lot of money on games. And now I'm looking over at the Wii U gamepad that's next to the 3DS. Mm-hmm. Um, because well, one of the I'm sure you guys know this, but one of the problems is whenever you're managing a website or a blog or a mm-hmm. magazine, you spend all your time doing that, and yep. that's actually one of the things that I really like about doing a magazine as opposed to a blog is that I feel like it's got a, a definite ending. So you release an issue and you go, "It is okay for me to relax today. I don't need yeah. to be guilty about this." But whenever you're writing a blog, it's like, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" Bam, 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 bam. Got to write articles. Got to write so. So I never have time to play games. <laughs> so why I bought a Wii U is beyond me. Um, <laughs> but I, um, 
Ugh. Well, there's a, there's a boring side story involving me dropping my iPad on the floor, smashing its face, and having to pay for a repair, which nearly <laughs> just kind of blew the Wii U fund. But it cost less to repair than I thought, so lo and behold, I got it. But um, I kind of, I've been very kind of apathetic towards games lately, and I I wrote a piece for the New Statesman last year saying the PS4 and the Xbox One are out. Don't buy these; they're really boring. You're not mm. going to be able to play yeah. anything on them. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's something really bizarre about a guy that does a video game magazine that's a a Mac owner, but that's me. Um, so, so I I, mm-hmm. I am currently working through a backlog of about thirty to forty games for the Xbox three sixty and the PS three. And so I'd said to people on this um, blog, if you want a new console, you should buy a PS three because you probably don't have one. They're really cheap. Loads of really good exclusive games. You know, it doesn't it doesn't suck anymore. It's not two thousand and six. It's okay to own a PS three now. <laughs> I I, yeah. I I allow you. So, but I would also said was, hey, you know, if you want something different, why not buy a Wii U? And I think whenever I wrote that, um, <laughs> talking about sincere beliefs, I'm not sure how sincere I was because I kind of I kind of threw it out there as a as a money to burn type thing. Like, you know, if you yeah. if you really feel like you must buy a games console, your life's going to end. There's always the Wii U. Um, but I got one I bought one because Mario Kart 8 came out and people were putting up all of these uh, Luigi Death Stare vines and videos and, and I really like Mario Kart 7 for the 3DS and I thought you know I just want a, I just want something that's really fun it's going to get me back into enjoying games again instead of another kludgy brown shooter you know like the gritty 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 thief and gritty gritty Tomb Raider and gritty gritty watchdogs and infamous orange and mm-hmm. orange and brown and um, and I think the Wii U is delightful. I think it's really, really lovely. So I got I got Mario Kart Eight, and I have I've borrowed New Super Mario Brothers, um, or as I like to call it, more Super Mario Brothers because there's nothing new, <laughs> there's nothing new about it. it hasn't yeah. been hasn't been new since the DS version. Um, but what's interesting to me is that the Wii U, obviously, everybody knows it's not doing very well sales wise, but it's actually a bit like the Dreamcast because it's got it's got a screen and a controller. Nobody really likes it apart from cool people like me. And it's, <laughs> uh, but also, I think Mario Kart Eight is the best Sega game I have played in a really long time. It's like that's interesting. Every, well, it's got everything from as soon as you fire it up, you get the whole um, light jazz rock introduction with you know, the electric electric bass type stuff. Nice. It, really remind, it reminds me of all the kind of. <laughs> Sega Rally slap bass and Casio keyboards. <laughs> um, you've got these these bright blue skies, and it's just really solidly made. It's got really good mechanics. I just yeah, it just reminds me of playing an old Sega arcade racer from the nineties. Um, and then I got a free. They're doing a promotion where if you buy one, um, you get a free download game. So I got Wind Waker HD. Oh uh, yeah. I only I only played it briefly in the GameCube. And then I loaded it up on the Wii U, and I was like, "Oh my god!" My eyes started to water, and I was like, "You know, this is this is beautiful. This looks, oh yeah, this looks, this looks better than real life." I just want to. Yeah, move Michael here. Michael Abbott <laughs> talked about uh, Wind Waker a, a little bit last week, but um, I think that that game's big, like well, the one reason I'm really glad I had a GameCube back then, <laughs> because not the one reason. I, there's some great games at GameCube, but um, but Don't yeah, that game go- is just it's just <laughs> lovely. Do you want to go back to 2002 whenever Wind Waker came out and take all of the people who were going, huh, Zelda? More like, more like Zelda? <laughs> just go back and line each of them up and laugh at them one by one and then watch yeah. them turn and walk away as they saw the beauty of Wind Waker HD. Because it was like, yeah. it was it was slated at the time for not being really grungy and, and realistic and, you know, like the way Twilight Princess turned out, essentially. But yeah. now every game is like that. And yeah, so and think, whenever Wind Waker comes along, you're like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Miyamoto, for making this game. <laughs> yeah, and I honestly think, you know, lining those people up and laughing at them would be the neighborly thing to do, really. I mean, those people need to be laughed at. It's 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 laughter from a <laughs> position of love. It's not good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'd, be, I'd probably be laughing at myself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's weird because, like, that Wind Waker HD hmm. is, like, I'm not. I, I've been hearing like more and more things about why the Wii U is great, and I think the point you make about um, the Wii U being different than the other two next-gen consoles that we have is, I think, is a significant one. There's not much difference between the Xbox One and the PS4, and they all There's play not- the same sort of dark, gritty games that you're talking about. Um, but also, they're essentially PCs as well. 
I mean, that yeah. was one of the things where yeah. whenever the whenever the Xbox 360 came out, I mean, you can play new games on that now, and you can only it's hard to appreciate. Whenever that thing came out, it was a supercomputer. It was like unbelievably well designed for something yeah. to last like a decade is incredible. And the PS3 was also like it was the you know the cell processor. There was the one mm-hmm. in, inside the T1000 that was going to warp. There was it the reality. <laughs> the, the graphics chip was called the reality synthesizer. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. you're, in, you're in your room playing the PS3 and then suddenly a, a warp hole opens and Sackboy comes out and goes come on let's have fun <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and how it was going to be like yeah. Toy Story meets the Death Star uh, yeah, yeah but, I sometimes wonder if people knew how to program for the PS3 uh, if um, it, it might actually be more powerful than the PS4 <laughs> 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 just, just kidding but there, was, but there was all this talk like whenever it came out that um Oh, something about um, I think Iraq had bought loads of them, wasn't that it? Or, or is it Iraq or Iran had bought loads of PS3s, or even maybe it was oh, PS2s. Or, are we oh, using? Oh yeah, I heard about that. Were, were using them? Yeah, it was like nuclear computers. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then, and then you get it. It's like Genji Days of the Blade, and you think, yeah, yeah, maybe not. But um, but those consoles had really custom architectures, whereas the PS4 is a PC in a box. The Xbox yeah, yep. One is a PC in a box. It's exactly the same x86 architecture. They've got less horsepower than my laptop. Admittedly, it costs significantly less because it's a Mac. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they're... So it makes me wonder, what's the, what's the differentiating thing here? Because I can play games on a PC with an Xbox controller, um, and I'm not really missing out on much. I don't think, like... I don't know about you guys, but as much as I enjoy the Halo series, I'm not really going to fork out for an Xbox just to play them all again in HD. Yeah, I never it's... liked it that much anyway, so... Cool, cool. Just you, just you wait for the Sonic and Mario section, we'll have words. <laughs> um, but so the Wii U was like, oh, this is actually fun. This only has games that I can play here. And it's something a wee bit different. And normally what I want to do is when I, you know, I come home from work and I just want to kick back and relax for 30 minutes. I haven't actually got... 30 hours to invest in a big open world action game anymore i tend to play those increasingly less so it was just it was just exactly what i was looking for yeah and i think of the wii as like something that everyone enjoys like together it's like a community thing um maybe not the the wii u is like a such a weird i was kind of disappointed in the wii u like in the unveiling because it feels like you can play it and no one will pay attention to you you know, it's, it's, like it's interesting, isn't it? Because the because we the whole name we is about two two or more uh-huh. people playing together, and this is the we you, yeah. Which, apart from being an absolutely terrible pun, is uh, why do they do this? Why can't, why do they call those figures amiibo? Why do, why, <laughs> why why aren't they called amigo? Yeah, like, and like just, oh, Nintendo and their puns, the two DS. Stop it, Nintendo! Just give them normal. <laughs> just call it GameCube too. Just call it something. <laughs> And any, yeah. anything but Wii U. But that's it. Yeah, it was all about, oh, great. Now you can play a big version of a PSP, essentially, while somebody else watches TV. It's like, yeah. that's not that's not pro-social at, at all. So that's all of like, that said, like, even, even still, like, I want a Wii U real bad because I think it's the one game system, like, I can get people that I typically have over at my house. I can say, let's play this thing, and they'll be like, okay, as opposed to, like, that looks dark and creepy you know <laughs> Any, what i mean yeah anybody can play mario kart though that's just a yep. like even you can yep. even play it if you don't really care yeah <laughs> you yep. can just exactly. you can just sit and talk away to somebody and, and work your way through it for In me fact, the killer app is mario party i'm mario a huge party. mario party fan which is weird but i want i want wii u for mario party so bad it's pretty weird. I think I'd rather play a real board game than that. <laughs> <laughs> but in real board games, you can't like have Bowser eat you and stuff. But in Mario Party, you can't flip. You can't flip the board when you lose. <laughs> well, I never do that. I try to I'll be, that me, I'll be me, me, me neither. I would. I would never do that. No. <laughs> Rage quitting a board game. So uh, what? What's um, like? If you had to sum it up, what's the one reason you would say people should consider? Uh, like the the value of owning a Wii U that makes it um, makes think, it worth it for you. I think because unique, interesting things are worth supporting. Honestly, I think you, you have to you have to think about like you don't have uh, enough time to play every game that's ever going to come out, right? So you could play a big pile of gritty shooters and open world games. You could play something genuinely different and interesting. And I I would rather spend my time doing that. I'd rather 
play something like uh, like that Splatoon game that's coming out, or a new yeah. open Zelda, where okay, you might say it's another Zelda game. That's a you know twenty five thirty year old franchise. What a stupid thing to say. But what I would say is I haven't played that many Zelda games. <laughs> I was a Sega <laughs> guy, so so it's yeah. new to me. But I think yeah, it's just it's something different. It's something fun. It doesn't have doesn't take over your life with the media convergence things. Um, it even kind of does stuff like it hides the friend list, which I you know, find a bit annoying. But actually, I find those constant interruptions on the Xbox quite irritating. I don't yeah. like the, I like I don't mind achievements, but I don't like achievement notifications. Like I was playing Bioshock, Minerva's Den's like, plunk, you did another bit of the game. It's like, yeah, I know that. I can tell because the story's progressing. You don't need to <laughs> like, And all, all, the, all these things just got got in the way of the the fun to some extent. Um but also yeah I, I, I like I like Nintendo and I like what they do. And I think they're the the they're the closest thing to the kind of classic Sega games that I grew up on. Just these really fun escapist fantasies where you know games can be ludicrous. You can have Mario running around in space and you know Mario Galaxy or whatever you can have just silly fun games like that. They're just a bit abstract and entertaining because like, you know the real world's so miserable half the time. Why would you want to live it? Why do you want to? Why do you want to relive the horrors of a military shooter? I hear that every day in the news. I'd rather just go bounce about with Mario and friends. Yeah, yeah. And those, I think maybe those games are a little more honest in a sense. You know what I mean? Because to me, um, uh, Battlefield and Call of Duty and, and Tomb Raider, or whatever else, those aren't really well, especially Battlefield and Call of Duty. But those aren't really like simulations of what it would be like to be in those gritty environments you know yeah. they're so far from what it would actually be yeah it's very it's very thing. romanticized isn't it it's yeah, like that's... it's like you're like michael bay movies mm-hmm. you know yep so um but yeah there's definitely a certain purity to it isn't there it's like when you think about like uh you know super mario 3d world it hasn't fundamentally changed that much from mario 64 <laughs> or even that much from super mario brothers there's kind of nintendo are really good at getting these archetypal genres and make, making really good games in them. So there's always going to be a platform game. They've always had a racing game and a party game. And then they put Mario into tennis and everything under the sun. But like, you know, Zelda is kind of one of the original open world adventures and things like that. They're really good at, at nailing down genres like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's not that it's not that, Oh, it's another Zelda game. It's that whenever Nintendo do an open world adventure game, they release it under the Legend of Zelda in the same way that Bethesda do Fallout and Oblivion. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what Nintendo do. Whenever they release a platformer game, they just do Mario instead of Rayman or Sonic or something like that. Yeah. And millions more people buy it that way if it's under yeah. Mario. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> Although people are not running to the stores to buy Wii U, so, but maybe they no, should. Well, I think, I think they had a big boost after, after Mario Kart, but um, I, I, I can't see the Wii U ever... Taking taking the world by storm, to be yeah. honest, um, unless that, that unless those seen. amiibo things take off, like they become the new Pokemon or Pogs or <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But that's okay. It it doesn't need to it doesn't need to sell a hundred million units to be profitable. And there's always going to be enough games coming out that I'm going to enjoy because I, I buy so few of them. It's not I don't need to own every new game that's coming out. I don't feel like I need to play them. So yeah, if that's yeah. you, yeah, probably don't don't buy a Wii U. <laughs> Seals pitch cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, let's talk about, Rich, your topic. Let's uh, talk about Mario versus Sonic, which clearly is Mario, right? I mean, um, well, are, are you guys Team Sonic? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm going to have to be Team Sonic in a, in a sense. Uh, the, the reason I th- started thinking about this, honestly, I don't know the reason I started thinking about this, but I did. I started thinking about the fact that when we were all kids, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog came out kind of post Mario as this like uh, very in your face sort of answer to Mario. I think, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that that interests me. Like, and the way that Sonic is framed, contra to Nintendo's whole aesthetic and like Mario's whole like this is fun, kids. You know, whatever. Sonic was viewed as like 
this rebellious kind of wise cracking hedgehog that I think for a person my age who I was like in middle school, it was like, oh, that's a cool one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, we talked earlier about rebelling. Like this is, this is just perfect for like rebellious kids who grew up with Mario and their parents loved it too. And suddenly that's not cool anymore for your parents to love your video games. And so I, I, uh, I guess I wanted to ask, you guys, Alan, I know because I've read an art, a great article in five out of ten about uh, you going to a Sonic the Hedgehog oh, convention. Yes, yes. Um, um, so I know whose side you're on, but I wanted to hear like a little bit about why you think you fell in love with Sonic. So I actually, I actually just took a picture of myself with my phone because I'm wearing a Sonic the Hedgehog T-shirt right now, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even do it consciously. I just I think I picked it out before you told me what the topic was going to be. Well, um, you know, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, FIFA soccer in a minute in the World Cup, but you know, you got to support your team. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, uh, <laughs> So yeah, I I've I've always kind of been uh, a long term Sonic fan, but actually it's it's interesting that yeah, there we are in this podcast about games and religion, and I wrote about my experience of Sonic in the terms of this kind of religious yeah. pilgrimage as I went to the fan convention. Right. So yeah. I I don't think there's been a good Sonic game since about 1994. Sure. Yeah. Um, I grew up. My first console was a Mega Drive, or as you guys call it, the the Genesis. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a way better name. No, no, Genesis is a is a uh, a, a naff English uh, prog rock band. It's not a games console. <laughs> Mega the, Drive. Mega Drive. That's a that's a name. That's a that's a it's real. It's the thing. it's the dawning of when video games began. It's when video games became Genesis. cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I I my first the first game I ever played was Sonic the Hedgehog, and whenever I came back from those uh, dull church Sundays, I would always play Sonic Three. Always Sonic Three. I would always start at Marble Garden because I couldn't get past the water stage, and I would play through Sonic Three every Sunday without fail. That was that was my that was my church after the real one. Um, so, but then you know you can through all the Sega consoles, nothing much happened on the Saturn, and then there was the Dreamcast, and there was the Sonic Adventure games, which actually I replayed recently. Mm-hmm. Sonic Adventure is awful. Yeah. Sonic Adventure Two is really quite good, huh. and and has a really really excellent soundtrack. Like really good, assuming you like cheesy Sega rock and um, some <laughs> some ill-advised rapping, yeah. which which you know obviously I'm known to do from time to time anyway. But but after after Sega's hardware went down the tubes, so did the Sonic games, and they just got worse and worse and worse. And um, whenever I was writing for the University of Edinburgh student newspaper, which is is basically proto split screen because that's where I met Craig, who's the design editor, and five out of ten. Um, I wrote this review of Sonic Unleashed, which I did as a kind of Dear John breakup letter to Sonic. Um, and it was something like it said, um, yeah, Mario was going to come around, so drop off my CDs with him. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so after I played that one, I was like, I'm never going to play another Sonic game again because they just aren't good. They're not what I remember. And I think that's because Sega never really understood what Sonic games were about. There's always this presumption that Sonic was about speed and oh, smashing through enemies, but actually, that's the fastest way to get yourself killed. And those old Mega Drive Sonics, it's it's more of a precision platforming thing, and the speed comes with time. Whereas the new ones, it was all just about going so fast and so fast that the game didn't even have time to do the collision detection. Yeah. So yeah. they're they're so buggy, you're always falling off walls and flying into rails and getting hit by enemies, and oh, it's just. It's just diabolical. I don't know how I played mm-hmm. Sonic it's really Adventure. Funny. It's really funny it's just... because those early Sonic games were like about restraint. Like yeah, you, yeah, you had yeah. to you had to restrain yourself. And I remember like as a as a young kid, like that was horrible to have to do, like to have to be careful when you've got like a loop de loop and like you could do a Sonic spin move at any moment and just go like a thousand miles an hour. But you so, like, so fast that he went off the screen, you couldn't even see him at the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but you knew better. You knew that you couldn't do that, or you would just run into a bumblebee and die. And I think maybe that that's why, as a kid, I wasn't as into Sonic as I was into Mario games, maybe. I, mm. I wonder if it was, because I had a, I never had any Sega mm. systems, but I had, well, like, I had the handheld, I had the Game Gear. Um, you had the, you had the, the game, game gear? That was, <laughs> yes. You, you, you picked one Sega console and that was the console? <laughs> well, you know, I was an impressionable kid back then. And, and and it came out as like, 
Game Boy is lame because it's not in color. And I was like, oh, man, I want the one that's in color. <laughs> so I asked for it for Christmas. You can play it for year. 10 minutes without yeah. getting new batteries. Yeah, yeah. So, But uh, I think maybe that's what I, I didn't like about it. Was like I thought I was frustrated with it as a kid because it was advertised as this thing like, and Sonic, you could go as fast as you want all the time, and it's all about like being awesome and fast, and then you play it, and it's that's clearly not what it's about. I mean, there are segments of the game that are, and those are sort of the worst segments of the game, right? Where you go, where you can go really fast without worrying about it. Those yeah. segments where you're rolling as a ball through loops and blah blah blah. I mean, those are just like those are like cutscenes essentially. Yeah, they they kind of are like especially in in Sonic Three and Sonic and Knuckles, you get a lot of um, like once you're going over corkscrews and round loops, and then you get launched, and then you kind of hit a wall, and it's like right now it's time for the platform bit. Hope you're ready, and I don't yeah. mind that. I quite I quite like that. That's a, that's a good way to do those kind of set pieces. Whereas the especially the advanced games and uh, not so much Sonic Rush because it's got a cool dash move, but Sonic Advanced games are always hurling you into the path of an enemy, and they don't give you any means of of, of dealing with it. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't. I can't believe your only Sega console was a Game Gear. That's like me saying my only Nintendo console was a Virtual Boy oh, because, they, I'm, because they told yeah. me 3D was the future. And well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm actually not being that was a, that was not a true statement. I bought a Dreamcast in high okay. school. Oh wow, so, that's okay. That's okay. Your your respect meters back up. <laughs> and I liked it a lot. I really liked the Dreamcast. I just wish it would have like lived longer than it did. But. Anyway. There's, there's something um, there's something Zalani Stewart said on Twitter the other day, and he said, um, "Why did why did the Sega Saturn fail?" And I just replied and said, "It didn't. We failed the Saturn." <laughs> but yeah. um, but I no, think the, some to that with the GameCat. Uh, I think that's the first console like we truly Dream weren't ready for. Is the Sega Saturn? Yeah, I think Sega they, Sega weren't ready for it. They didn't they, know what they were doing. Well, no kidding. They just announced it, and it was in stores, and we were like, "What? What?" What do we do? <laughs> yeah. There's no way as a kid, like, you could say, hey, mom and dad, like, this system just came out, like, just today, and I need you to get it now. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, like, pitting Sonic against Mario, because, yeah, I've got my Wii U, and I got my 3DS, and one of the things I got with it was a free download of the original Super Mario Brothers, which mm-hmm. I had kind of, I'd played in the sense that I loaded it into an emulator once, had a two-minute crack, and oh, this is rubbish, and then went and played something else. <laughs> but, um, so I was like, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to finish Super Mario Brothers, and I'm trying really hard not to swear here, but goodness gracious me, that is a difficult game. <laughs> That is a that is a really hard game. Yeah, it is really it's really floaty and challenging. And how do you kill the things with the hammers? Oh my god, it's really 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 hard. <laughs> and I gave up. I got to World Seven. I was like, this isn't worth it. This is just going to be 3ds out the window stuff. Um, <laughs> so um, I think the problem is that I can never look at a Sonic game with anything other than nostalgia. And as soon as I play any old Sonic game in the Mega Drive, it just takes me back to when I was young and I just, I will always love them. But whenever somebody who was, grew up on Mario plays Sonic, that's how I feel when I play Mario going, yeah, I can see why this is good, like objectively. Mm-hmm. I think Mario is a well-designed game, but it's not something I really want to play right now. And I don't think... That I think it's, it's it's interesting how people venerate these classic games because I'm playing Ocarina of Time right now for the for the first time earnestly playing it and um, I'm kind of like what what what's all the uh, the fuss about folks yeah. it's uh, like but that's because I've you know well my favorites linked to the past but I've played the DS ones and it's it's really hard to understand games that came out a decade or two decades ago in the context of today yeah. that's the problem with the Sonic and Mario thing is. All these Nintendo fans that won the console war, they're also historical revisionists, and they're like, oh, Sonic was always crap, Sonic always sucked, Mario, yeah, it's like, no, no, Sonic, no, Sonic yeah. was good, my childhood wasn't wasted, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's, let's, uh, let's trans, well, first I do want to say, like, uh, I'm curious, um, I think, for me, anyway, the Rayman games, the Rayman Legends and Rayman Origins, mm. are kind of like maybe a good answer for the modern day, perhaps like the modern day Sonic game. Yeah, you know, that I doesn't, agree with that. That doesn't suck. Yeah, um, um, it, yeah, it's, maybe, maybe. It's both of those things. It's at times it's very fast and fluid, and then at times it's very calculated. 
Um, anyway, I just... Man, I need to finish that game on the Vita. I haven't finished Rayman Origins on the Vita yet. It's such a funny game. I love whenever you've got somebody playing as um, Globox, and where Rayman hangs off a cliff, he just hangs on by his mouth. It's just such a, <laughs> such a, it's such a funny game. That's what I like about it. It's just really good-natured. What's yeah. a really good Rayman game is Rayman 2. Have you ever played Rayman 2? Uh-uh. No. Um, oh, okay. Luckily for you, it's been re-released on every console ever, because um, it came out on the N64, and you can get it for... PS1, the Dreamcast, the PS2, the DS, and the 3DS. Um, best one's probably the probably Dreamcast version, but it's it's a it's like a really really good way to do a 3D platformer. And uh, yeah, I think it was quite critically acclaimed at the time until people got fed up with playing it over and over again in every subsequent generation of consoles. But yeah, Rayman 2 is good. I'm gonna put a yeah. shot in for Rayman. It's better than any 3D Sonic game. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Well, sorry. I don't know about sorry. Rayman 2, but I I think that. <laughs> I think that about the new Rayman games for sure, um, is that those are better than the newest, the most recent iterations of Sonic for sure. Probably, probably better um, than new Mario games as well. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I possible, can't, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think they're really well done. I mean, if you're just into that sort of, you know, pure platformer, I think those are great to look at. Um, that said, I wanted to talk about the World Cup uh, and FIFA, <laughs> the game FIFA, to make this about video games. Um, I annoyed a lot of people the last month, probably on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter, um, by incessantly posting about the World Cup because um, I'm a pretty big soccer fan. Or uh, for you, Alan, sorry, football. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> which I think is a superior. I'll I'll admit is a superior name, but you're, you're kicking a ball with your yeah. foot. In yeah. the game is football. Yeah. <laughs> do you so, do you kick the ball with your foot in American football? Not all of the time. Not all of the time is the answer. Some, not, some of the time. not nearly yeah. enough to justify yeah. calling it football. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, I was just curious about you guys because me being really into the World Cup, I, I played soccer growing up. I, I coached for five years, high school and like club soccer. Um, so it's something that like it's kind of. I value a lot. Anyway, I'm curious if you guys have ever been so into an event like that you went and then or or you know some sporting event or or any kind of event that it inspired you to then play the digital version of that thing. <laughs> Is that an experience you can relate with in any way or am I just Oh man. Am I just lame? That's a good question. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to try to think. I can only think about. Uh, oh well, while while you think, Rich, do you want to hear my my World Cup experience? Yes. So okay, Absolutely. so so I um hadn't really watched the World Cup at all because I'm not really into it. And then one of my German friends came back from his holidays and he said, um, "Oh, let's let's catch up and have a pint. Um, let's go watch uh, this football game." And the football game was Germany versus Brazil. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and I haven't watched the football game in about I don't know, five five years or so. And uh, and and we were in the University of Oxford club with a huge number of Germans. And uh, <laughs> and it was like so. After the first three goals, it was pretty clear to me that I, I picked the right match to watch. <laughs> and I, after the fourth goal, I went to go to the bathroom. And as I walked across the floor of the club, they scored a fifth. Um, and at that point, all the Brazil supporters uh, got up and left. So, <laughs> so that was uh, that was my World Cup experience. And I watched it again. But um, but it was it was like a game of FIFA, pretty much. <laughs> it was it was mm-hmm. it was like watching the the Harlem Globetrotters or something. Um, <laughs> well, in terms of actual sporting events, I don't know. Um, I what I used to really like was watching Formula One. Yeah. Um, um, but I always used to love Formula One games because it's like, I always think, why would you want to go play real sports? Why would you want to go sit in a, on a, because, okay, it might be different for you guys, but if you play football here, it's normally in a, a freezing cold field with the rain pelting down at you, you know, <laughs> at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, which is not my idea of fun when I was 12. Um, it's like, why would you watch Wimbledon when you could be the Wimbledon champion? And tennis yeah. games, like, I actually quite enjoy watching tennis on TV, but I think tennis games are fantastic. I think they're so, so much fun. And they, yeah, they are. Especially Virtua, Virtua Tennis um, for the Dreamcast and the original Top Spin for the Xbox. Mm. I got through my, my university first couple of years with just Top Spin and Marvel vs. Capcom 2 in the Xbox. <laughs> but, yeah. um, like, but in F1's another one where people are like, oh yeah, what a great race. And you just kind of 
watching these cars nipping around the track over and over and you can't even get to see them overtake a lot of the time because they're focused on somebody else but f1 games are absolutely enthralling and, and terrifying you, you really understand what it's like to be strapped to this flimsy carbon fiber rocket that's gonna be you know six seven hundred horsepower so it's interesting that you're like oh well what events inspired you to, to play the games and it's like well any of them but uh, any any of them but also none of them yeah yeah, I'm, I mean, I I basically, if I was interested in a sport, I was definitely interested in the game. And sometimes, like he said, like, you know, there can be games for sports that I don't care about, but they can be really interesting. I've, I've always had a fascination with baseball games, though I haven't played them a lot in the recent past. But, like, when I do play them, man, they're real fun. And I can't really watch baseball on a regular basis. Like, I can go to a baseball game, but I just cannot get into baseball. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. The video games definitely make make these things more palatable, I think, yeah. to an average person. Especially because you're, like, actively involved in them and you don't have to feel shame that you're, like, too <laughs> out of shape or whatever. Like, there's a lot of self-consciousness that yeah. goes into putting yourself out there to play a sport. Like I I went to play ultimate Frisbee the other day with like some church people and it was the most humiliated I've felt in a long time. (laughs) I would much rather play video games of ultimate Frisbee than do that though. I'm going to do it only, only I'm going to keep doing it only because I want to overcome that part of myself that turns into a, like a middle schooler in my brain when I go out there. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. That's that makes me feel like you know that in a lot of ways these sports video games can be a crutch, especially for people like me. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's really important to overcome challenges um, in in sports and things. Like I think that's that's a pretty cool way to grow as a person, and you really do lose that when you. Like, you just don't get opportunities to do that in video games all that much. I mean, the only the only video game slash board game I've, I've grown as a person playing is probably something like Netrunner, where you have to sit there and kind of get the rules wrong in front of another person over and over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's and, a lot of board games, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So maybe board games and sports, like, are two... They're obviously very distinct in what they focus on and what they push you at, but... I would say like anybody who like find a good find a good ultimate frisbee game or whatever the casual sport is where yeah. you are and just like find people who are nice that you can play with and uh suck suck for several weeks in a row. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's... yeah. Do you get newbies? Do you get newbies in sports? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Like I yeah. have some friends I have some friends over um this weekend that uh, one of them is really into soccer, and the other one came, and when they were coming, I, I actually do play soccer, like, just pick up soccer with some guys here in Nashville, um, and so my, the pickup pick up game that I go to is on Saturdays at 12, and I was like, do you guys, would you guys want to go? Because I knew my other friend would be really into it, but I, I was, you know, I didn't want to pressure them to go because I knew the, the one that doesn't play soccer probably wouldn't be, but come to find out, he's been playing soccer for like the last three or four months. Um, and had gotten in kind of like a pickup game, a weekly pickup game that he goes to. And, um, we went out there and he, you know, he, he wasn't at the same level as a lot of the guys, but he, he had fun and he was doing it and he was learning and asking questions even sometimes. And, uh, I don't know. It was cool. Um, but it's interesting cause I think FIFA maybe does the opposite. Like I, I got into playing it just because of, um, you know, like the World Cup ended and I couldn't watch soccer anymore. <laughs> so I wanted to, to like, play it. Um, Make soccer but, happen on your television yeah, screen. But I you, think... need, you need to move to the UK where there is no escape from the soccer. And um, yeah, at the end, I was watching the World Cup final and the best bit was they said, uh, don't worry, the, the football will be back on in four weeks. It's like, oh, thanks. Thanks, BBC. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really concerned that there wasn't going to be nonstop football saturation on every yeah. channel for the next year thank you for <laughs> thank you for getting rid of my concerns brilliant yeah yeah you know and i, I think it's it's probably different here in the united states because in the united states people are less into soccer than they are into like basketball or certainly american football is, is bigger um but for people who want to learn 
the sport and are curious about it. I think actually FIFA, some of these video games, of FIFA in particular, is really a good game to pick up to sort of learn how it works and what it's about, and not just the mechanics of the video game FIFA, but the mechanics of the sport of soccer. I think FIFA actually does a really good job of teaching that, which I think, um, you know, hey, if you're curious about soccer or, or any other sports, like actually some of these games do a pretty amazing job of teaching those um, how those sports work and their strategies and things. I will I can say think... that the worst version of sports video games have to be football. Like, I've never been able to get into a football video oh, game. Oh, yeah, and those are so complicated. You really have to have a lot of understanding, I think. And I feel like I do at this point. Like, I've been watching football for about three years, like, pretty hardcore, uh, and I can't do it. It's just yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. You can you can do it. I have I have faith in you can do it. Just okay. Just well, get your, get your, in but, me. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of sports that um, sports games that go wrong, um, have you ever played Wii Fit? Yes. Okay. So have you done the running in Wii Fit? Because uh, uh, well, I, well, maybe I I do long distance running. I run about three times a week maybe, um, and I've done like half marathons and ten k's before. Don't think that that is a facsimile of what it's like to actually run <laughs> it is the most boring thing i have ever done and in fact it tells you it tells you off for running too fast which is precisely the opposite of what a good running simulation should do uh, so how would you make a good running game how, ah, how could that ah, possibly okay. exist okay so one cool running game is um i i run with a gps tracker called Runkeeper, and it tells uh-huh. me the pace and stuff uh-huh. um and there's a game that um, it's made by a company in the UK called Six to Start, I think, and it's called Zombies Run. Oh yeah, and, it, I and it's a, and it's an alternate reality game where you go for a run and it gives you directions on where to go. And that is a good example of how to do a running game because it's got the gamification, yeah. but it's also um, it gets you out actually running because that's what you should be doing. So it you know kind of improves your fitness in a in a real way and a way you're not going to injure yourself like we fit. But it's also got fun gamey aspects to it. So that's that's a perfect example of how to do a really cool running game. I wrote a review about Zombies Run for uh, Kill Screen back in 2012. So. Right. And it was all about how out of shape I am and how I eat hot pockets and stuff. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Rich, rich I'm still trying to break through that whole barrier of like being able to say I run, but I, I have been working through Couch to 5K literally since 2012. Food, still... food festival, run in the opposite direction. Exactly. I've like I've like sat right in the middle of of that of that plan for the last two years it's awful nice nice well uh let that be an encouragement to you all to (laughs) get out and you know yeah don't don't play video games they're 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 rubbish go outside but if you (laughs) but if you are going to stay inside and play video games yeah buy a wii u unless you don't want to i think that was the conclusion (laughs) of everything i said yeah yeah yep yep that sounds like a good place to uh, to bring this uh, to a halt and say thank you, listeners, for listening to our podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Alan, uh, for being a part of this show. Yeah, we thank, really thank you so it. much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Buy five out of ten. It's a really, really good. Yeah. Magazine. Thank, thank you for buying a copy of the new five out of ten. Thank you for buying a copy of my book and for subscribing to the Christ and Pop Culture magazine. Thanks. Very presumptuous, <laughs> Alan. No, no, I'm just I'm just thanking them in advance. <laughs> N- name it and claim it. That's what what we do. Um, oh man, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, we really appreciate being on. We I'm I'm really impressed with five out of ten and 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 your writing and and we definitely encourage people to check out all that you do on the internet. So, thank you, uh, thank you very much. That's what it's for. As yeah. Long as, people, as long as people like it, I don't mind that I don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and last thing we want to say is go rate and review our podcast on iTunes. And if you do, um, well, we will be really happy. So <laughs> go do it. And uh, that'll, that's it for today. See you guys. Bye. 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 Bye.